solid five. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then when you show it to them that you won't be that embarrassed. Yeah. And, and I don't know if you grab, do you grab material from your personal life? All of my material is from my personal life, but nothing really about my family. Come yeah, back. Just a little bit. Sorry. No, no, I just was trying to do it so that nobody else knew. It's between you and I. Oh, okay. <laughs> I shouldn't have said anything. Oh, yeah, exactly. We're on radio. Nobody can see us. So yeah, yeah. I can give all these visual cues and nobody will know. Yeah. Like, I could go like this and nobody knows I'm saying stretch it out. Ah. I could be adjusting my mic or doing yeah. it and letting you talk away. So I feel like a director or conductor. That's what I am. Uh, air traffic. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to Open Pages here at MutinyRadio.fm. We are streaming live Open Pages um, from right here in the Mission District. And we're going to start off with a song from our feature last month, Milo Star Johnson. And this is her song called Look Away from her album, The Perambulator. And Keep listening, because we have Julian Mithra as your feature tonight, and I can't wait for you to hear them. So here's a little song for you to listen to. All right.
All right. So that was Milo Star Johnson. And if you liked that, you should check out some of her work at milostarjohnson.com. That's M-I-L-O-S-T-A-R-R-J-O-H-N-S-O-N.com. So we're, we have Julian Mithra with us here in the studio, and I'm super pleased to, to be here on Solstice with you and with it, all of you. <laughs> How you doing, Julian? Say hi to everybody. Wait, I'm let me let well. me get your mic on. Let's let's do this thing. Try that. I don't know if it's on. Okay. Happy oh. solstice. Happy solstice. Have you done anything anything fun today? Um, I was making a pomander, which is stabbing cloves into an orange, and the orange will hopefully kind of desiccate and preserve itself, and then the cloves smell really good, and you can hang them around your house for the holidays. That's super cool. How yeah. long do those keep? Like, um, how long do they keep? It depends on how well you do it in the humidity. So I live in a very humid place, so... It's one of mine is a little brown, but if you do it correctly and you live in a dry place like Southern California, it will keep for months. That's so interesting because yeah. we're not in a dry place. Yeah. It's a bit damp here. Mm-hmm. And foggy lately. Mm. Yeah. I've been enjoying, I've really enjoyed that. Mm. So are, are, you, are you ready to, to give us, you've got some new work. I do. Yeah. I have actually very new work. That is yeah. exciting. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to read your bio from If the Color is Fugitive, which is the title of your collection of poems that was published last year in 2018. And that's how I got to meet you. So I'm pretty excited about that. So this is uh, December, the solstice edition of Open Pages. And this is Julian Nay Mithra hovers between Genre and gender, border mongering and mongreling. At local festivals, they exhibit handmade chapbooks and cut up zines like Mixed Frame in 2017, Wood Handbook from 2015, and The Better to Teeth You With from 2013. Um, you can read their work on paper in Versal 12, Milvia Street. Storm Cellar, Anxie, The Other Side of Violet, and on a screen at Pink Pearl, Gender Trash Cafe, <laughs> and Poetry Film Canal. Most recently, just a few weeks ago, Julian published a collection of botanical poems called Botanica Abandon, part of an eco-poetic collection that was published on entropy.com. So check that out for sure. For a master's in folklore studies at UC Berkeley, Sarah dressed up as a 19th century anthropologist and spoke through a copper pipe. I'm curious about that. (laughs) Find unsettling recitations on SoundCloud and watch soft focus collage poem videos on Vimeo. Vimeo. All right, Julian. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I'm so excited. So, yeah, I have some new work, kind of some extension of botanical poems um, and some work that's based on archives, which I'll kind of try to uh, cite as I go through it. 
Perspicacious. A posse accuses a cis pissoir of specious purpose. A press circus arouses the sap of the accusers under the auspice of apprising them of the serious crisis. Crass papers, supposedly the source of our coarse corpus, assure the space between purse and spurs. Spare us this pious cause, an opera to secure access only for passers. We pry ropes from the process, pose in pairs for sepia picks, curse the occupier's cries, and carouse the curioscape. We pause in a coppice of spruce to piss and crap on posies and crocus, ass poised to caress a rose. A sea will arise, an oasis, praise scrappy aces, spicy wrappers, who scare the prosaic oppressor with auric pep. <laughs> Anybody can grow up to be president. A poem that keeps um, accruing new meaning as we continue to have a president. Anybody can grow up to be president. Our science teacher said, acorns grow into wood. Charlie and Branson snicker and grab their pants behind her back. Next day, I planted an acorn between my legs. It wouldn't get much sun, so I pressed to the window and lifted my nightgown, hoping new moon rays brought nutrients. Maybe the acorn would grow like a mushroom, sideways from a moist log. I began to wish my legs would rot, and frogs and centipedes move in. When that didn't work, I planted a cherry pit between my legs because the dictionary said it's slang for hymen, a goddess in charge of love. Then I figured it out. Cherry made sense because the pit is somehow a round seed and a hole you fall into. When it grew so tall that we could sit beneath the cherry tree's shade, I hoped that Georgie might come along with his chopping hatchet so fond and on his knees confess to idle crimes of the white American. He'd take my grubby hand before his father. I cannot tell a lie, sir, he'd tremble. I cannot tell a lie. The Very, Very Little Girl, which is loosely based on a children's story I had called The Very Little Girl. The Very, Very Little Girl. This is a girl named Onadine. She is very little. She is littler than the rose bush. She is littler than the stool. She reaches the sugar bowl on tiptoe. She climbs stairs of fairy books to peek over the sill. Girls must mind their mistress, eat their vegetables, glog cod liver oil, and pray to God to grow. 
Let me reach the door handle myself. May I set the kettle without help? This prayer dithers amongst the stars before being impaled by the moon. What knit would trust an orb who slackens her hold on wholeness and almost disappears? Each morning, Onadine measures her finger by thrusting it through the slot in a spoon. Quite to her disquietude, soon she can slip two or three at a time into the soup. Mingionadine, mothers do not always have a way with God. You ought to breach the garden. Within the green morass, it takes on primeval proportions. Onadine scales a sunflower stalk to a bower choked with globes. In books, a cabbage reveals a magic vessel, filling with honey at the word glory. Wielding a bougainvillea thorn like a dagger, at heath she peels perianth to slice sheath, stab leaf, wrench calyx, tear peel, meat cleaves, inmost fritillate squeaks. The flowers titter at her ignorance. Would not mother weep to spy her daughter, dwarfed by roguish posies on a moonlit lark? How far she strayed from the clipped bouquet. That's the last time she prays. Onadine clambers sultry blooms, spangles waltz with zinnias, golds twist jonquils. The littlest girl palms an anther, smears the nearest sticky tongue, pollen drenches hair, darkens her eyelashes, yellows her dress, drowning in a crocus, dewy pistol spills glitter, skin tinsel, frantic fraudage, relishing this flower feast, plundering sap and pollen both. Recipe for holy, and this is uh, English to English translation of um, some old, probably 120-year-old advertisements. Recipe for holy. Devotees bombarding the patron saint of Baroque symbols will please behold the following treatise, viz. Cast the scribblings of the tract, which you embrace, into a manifold or facet, initiating at least three fancies. Then disgorge upon it about a half fancy of fervent purification. You will have an opaline binary. After letting it testify a few epiphanies, you will cast the balance of gracious purification necessary with the conversion transmuted in it. Also, cast the blessing, or its pretext, permeate the facet well, and when quenched, you have a sacred residue ready for service. Permeate the facet each time. Safeguard the facet in an apse, and in no case abide it to testify in any shrine. The Cutting Garden Last season, gardener doffed his cap, down to knee. Sorry I stunted the pear. I'm sorry for rust, and the morning the pigeons got loosed. 
but you'll never more see the likes of apples pinkening with such lust. They dismissed him at once for insolence and welcomed a fresh master florist. Roses fall quick, the shears lascivious. Flirtatious dahlias yearn for a beheading. Bashful delphiniums spear themselves on wire. Tulips bear all for a portrait. A fling for hollyhock and pornographic spree for lily. Oh, corner heather, cleverly hiding behind the smallness of your umbles, imagining you're protected. Could master be tender? Clasp a vein to steal the tremble. She fears thirst, looking plain. Winter, weeping too much sap out the cut. Loneliness, bees, sunburn, crickets hopped from Jerusalem. Heather's afraid she's not beautiful enough for a bouquet. Dear master, I may be gruff, I may be overrun with weeds and cough in spring's pollen haze. I will look naked without these flowers. Please spare me. Content yourself with gerberas and asters. Master? Uh, this next piece is a narrator of a very small part of the Mirror of Alchemy by Roger Bracon from 1597 um, during a time that real alchemy was considered a science. How to medicine upon an imperfect body. I promise projection, which is desired the infinitely and infinitely perfect perfection, another and one more near than another. And although perfection, nevertheless the nearest, perfectly near to, nearest to perfection, truly and without doubt, may mirror. Art overcometh nature. Know thou likeness, which may be another body, and body join with other body. Thou nearness is corporeal, incorporeal, and contrariwise, the whole body is beyond mix. <laughs> and this last piece is also, it's not really a translation or an erasure, but it is based on um, like a, a guide to gardening like a list of species. Flux garden. Descript. It rebels with an inexact swarm. Four or five hundred wings spread into sundry outposts, whereon flourish many pearly riffles, very finely feathered and severed into a number of slight and almost awkward parts. The faces are gentle and opalescent, emerging flare fashion, after which come fine polysyllabic drives with seed-sized mirrored kernels. The source is deep and tuberous, prophesying every season. Place. 
They unfold wild in the outskirts, by edges and crossings, and among scrap and other salvage. Time. They unfold and scatter quickly after, namely in Twelfth Tide and Late July. Decoctions. This fluidity is Saturnine also. Both the mask and wing of fluxweed is of excellent use to preserve the flux or lask of dancing, being ripe reservoirs wherein gads of damask have been often gathered, and is no less effectual for the same purpose, and to protect any other flux of marrow in gambler or hitchhiker, as also to delineate fragments broken or out of joint. Virtues. The distillation of the essence works the same effect, although somewhat more buoyant, yet it is an ambered concoction and more amenable to travel. It is called fluxweed because it thrives on flux, and for its untying disparate desires, etc. A nameless deity extols it to the skies. Yay. Thank you. Thank you, Julian Mithra. That was that was really pretty amazing work. Thank you. So I'm I feel like it's very appropriate because it's solstice. Yes. And um you know, we know that the light is coming back. Mm-hmm. It's not back yet, but the flowers will come back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Things mm-hmm. will change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, I enjoyed those explorations of change mm. through your metaphors mm-hmm. in, in your poems. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about, sure. about, about your work? And, Definitely. Yeah. Tell, tell me about, um, yeah, tell me about where where from from whence these sprung. Sure, um, I've been working lately with various archives, so I'm really interested in the types of epistemologies that have been recorded in archives, um, which are which documents especially are not well circulated. So I think that there's certain poets who kind of work with an archive that's a, a literary archive and that there's a kind of value to it. But I'm kind of interested in things that have been digitized from the uh, 19th century in particular that are just sort of not really written by experts, um, don't have literary value, might be like part of pulp or on some kind of margins of knowledge, but then nevertheless have been documented and thinking about what to do with that other than just learn from it so like reading oh you know the the book about alchemy like to try to extract information from it but I'm actually just really interested in the way that those works use language and how point how how language is like a point to a kind of reality and then how to disturb that so that I'm borrowing the same language but not really pointing to the same reality so that might mean changing the content by doing some kind of English to English translation that takes something very um, concrete often so like the the process of this alchemical uh, 
transformation and then replacing it with something very abstract so that we get like from the um the one that was based on an advertisement really becomes about this um like sacred holy space and so you you keep the tone like the encouraging like oh we're, we're selling you this thing so that you can become this person but then you kind of switch it for like a spiritual like spiritual growth and like investigate kind of spiritual longing so um yeah there's an advertisement archive um some of the botanical archive like guidebooks for gardening like forcing bulbs or forcing flowers i'm really interested in um i wrote something that's like how to dig a root cellar so it's like using actual um how to dig a root cellar advice and then kind of using it to explore this human control over like the natural order of things um where you're sort of arresting the growth in order to preserve this vegetable that's actually like yearning to grow again um and kind of break out of the those human uh human um constraints and uh some really new work that is also related to the archive that i'm not sharing very much um has to do with like extractive technologies like mining and looking at like old textbooks about mining from like the gold rush and silver rush so like from the 1860s again appealing to this like naive kind of easily exploited reader who like wants to believe it like wants to believe like oh expertise comes from a book so there's this again there's a straightforward encouraging kind of tone um and then but what that extraction like is so um unsustainable and you know created all kinds of horrible uh ecological realities like in colorado and california and other places where gold rushes transformed the economy um but metaphorically i do think that search for gold is uh, like has a hold on me like so i'm just very like what is that gold i've been asking myself a lot this like this this perfect promise like this shiny object that will deliver you to your own future right i am really appreciating also how your inspiration is from kind of common documents Mm -hmm. from you know beyond living memory Mm -hmm. and that we definitely are still suffering like more and more the consequences of those desires and acting on those desires and realizing also you know in 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 deep retrospect that there always has been an agenda behind Mm -hmm. these things Mm -hmm. and that that kind of the the greed that drives that whether from the naive consumer of Mm -hmm. that information or the person who who wants that to happen like Mm -hmm. that's always been there like that's very interesting Mm -hmm. to me about this work Mm -hmm. and the stakeholders like again i do think from a historical standpoint or even an anthropological or ethnographic standpoint we're used to kind of considering like human stakeholders and maybe now recently we're starting to think about um, ecological stakeholders Um, but investigating these archives i'm really interested in um, i heard this phrase that i can't remember where it's from but impossible subjectivity so i'm actually really interested in how the gold itself and coal 
and bears and denning animals and um, fungus and things that dwell underground, like what's their subjective experience of being searched for and then brought up to the surface and then interacting with the human world? Um, what, what are their desires? Like what's natural to them? How are they forming relationships with each other? Like um, mineral vegetation animal relationships um and kind of looking at the inside of that hidden hidden subjectivity it sounds a little bit like radical animism mm. hmm. like there's definitely like considering the perspective of those things that we don't usually like think of as being part of the interaction, but mm -hmm. like, that's, that is such an interesting mm -hmm. idea. They very much are part of all these interactions. Mm -hmm. You know, right now I'm wearing, I'm wearing my new silver earrings from my aunt Linda. Thanks aunt Linda. They're really beautiful. But like this conversation mm -hmm. is making me very aware mm -hmm. of them and the, the process mm -hmm. that I am part of mm -hmm. that, that, has all these consequences mm -hmm. that's cool yeah thank you for yeah. the thinking yeah of course <laughs> yeah neat mm. um so let's see what else i was i was taking some notes while you're oh, reading lovely. because you know i like to remember things i really i love i wrote here that the sounds i love how you, how you're using the the sounds of and it is somewhat like archaic language, like mm -hmm. the heavy relation, the heavy reliance on the, the words from Latin, mm -hmm. the polysyllabic words, but you're using them to like create a, a rippling river of words. Mm. I really was enjoying the listening aspect of that. Mm. Um, are you, are you like, what's your process? Like, how are you, how are you getting Okay, that, that's one of my questions. Mm -hmm. The other one is I'm actually really curious about where you're accessing these archives. Sure. So on the logistical side, um, I was introduced to this kind of open, um, like the idea of the open internet by the Prelinger archives, which is primarily a film and video archive, um, which is curated and supported and made available to people by... Rick Prelinger, um, who is an amazing activist around the availability of information. Um, and so I was making poem videos using home movies sourced from the Prelinger archive and that kind of found footage like salvage. So I was seeing these parallels between salvage ethnography and then found footage, um, thinking about like repurposing appropriation. That's like very much part of my process. And then also um, Project Gutenberg, which is a project, I think it's just gutenberg.org, allows, I think that they, they kind of um, source their text translations of scans just from people. Um, so I, that's part of why it's so huge is that they have people um, checking whether their like optical character recognition is really the text. So it's really very high quality compared to other sites. Um, so I use that a lot 
because it's it's easy to like you can actually just copy and paste into a document so if you're working on um, collage or erasure it has that advantage whereas um, if you go on the internet archive to look at some of the Prelinger work um, it's just images so it's for text it's a little bit more difficult um, those are probably my my top like I'm on those every week probably um, and yeah some specific Things that I've read are um, Adventure Magazine from the Great Depression, which is when my new work is set. And you can see, I think every every volume of Adventure from the ones I'm looking at are like in the 30s. And they're totally intact, like with the advertisements and, you know, uh, hilarious um, problematic illustrations and <laughs> extremely exotifying um, and really interesting t place to look at racializing and um, yes. gender uh, ideology that's developing or recorded slash developing at the time. Um, so yeah, I love that. Uh, my process probably varies depending on the project. So when I was working with those advertisements, it was much more research because it was actually difficult to find long advertisements, the type that would just like go on for pages and pages, like an entire bulletin. Um, and originally I was interested in um, the creation of like a female subject through appeals to like um, maybe hysteria or like mental wellness issues that maybe didn't have the same name in the teens and 20s um, and it was actually difficult to find that so I kind of expanded my search um, so for that I did a um, an English English translation which is like a data concept where you develop some sort of con constraining uh, decision making process to replace certain words so I replaced like nouns verbs adverbs and adjectives only and then tried to keep kind of like the syntax of the sentence and prepositions the same um and then i found what i considered like a close synonym but not it was a synonym but not a close synonym maybe i should say that and then i tried to keep it consistent so like if the word um machine i, I don't know i'm guessing that like some word like machine was the word that i ended up translating to facet because you hear that over and over again um and there's another there's another one in that series called wordless indivisible aura which is a the original advertisement was for like a magnetic like healing like people thought just like oh you hook yourself up to magnets and then you heal you rebalance the, the you know something of your body um so that was would be like the word for magnet would be aura so i would like use that over and over again um with this long form experimental work which is like about the extractive technologies coal mining and um sugar beet farming um in colorado during the great depression this process is a lot longer um because it's more complicated and so i might write something kind of inspired by something and then that goes through processes and then I go back to the original material and try to fold some of that in. Um, an example would be uh, using, try, I was trying to generate, it's generating documents, like imaginary, like as if it's an imaginary archive. So one of the documents is uh, like the list of courses that you would have to take if you enrolled in the School of Mining um so it's these course descriptions that are there's an uh, they seem real like the again the, a lot of the language of it 
feels historical and realistic. Um, but if you really read what it's saying, it doesn't make sense. So for example, um, numismatics, numismatics is the study of coins and coin collecting. So it's kind of relevant to gold and, um, copper and other metals that were made into coins. So, but then instead of the class just being called numismatics, it's called numismatics. And it's kind of about the, the spiritual aura of gold and why people are so attracted to it and, um, investigating that kind of like spiritual, uh, sublime, like this sense of the sublime that you might have as you learn how to mine um, mine materials out of the ground. Um, so just even just each of those course description titles meant really digging like inside the, the, the middle of words. So like the etymology or like a lot of wordplay, like just having words kind of going around in my mind, like learning what numismatics is and then thinking about, Oh, what does it sound like? Um, and sitting with that, the fact of the language itself until like it kind of transforms into something else. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. How long are your projects taking you? Um, this is like an incredibly ambitious project because I am learning the history and there is an element of like historical fiction, although I hesitate to really call it that. Um, so there was some, the type of research that a normal historical fiction writer might go through, I also went through. Um, and the structure of it, since it's experimental, I think that is taking a long time to find its form, which I'm pretty satisfied with like this kind of archive form. Um, and then there's like this psychological process, which is like I need to grow into what this work is exploring, which is often really uncomfortable and brings up a lot of trauma and grief. So uh, I think there's kind of periods of like like very intellectual engagement with the material and then periods of really emotional engagement and um, moving back between those is like a, I think different. Cause it, it, a lot of times if it's just a single poem, I kind of feel ready to like dive into that fear. Whereas this is such a complex thing. It means like diving into complex systems yeah. of my psyche. Right on. Mm -hmm. That's bold. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so if anybody wants to, to come and see you, are you, are you out and about? Are you going to be performing anywhere again? Or you got some stuff, do you have a way on the vast pixelated prairie that is the internet? Is there any place that you can be located or found if anybody um, wants to do that i am not the most um doc like i don't document my life digitally that well um if you <laughs> run into me i often will have a piece of material culture to give you such as a hand watercolored postcard that teaches you about artemisia which i handed out at my reading with um, great weather for media's anthology last month well maybe two months ago um and I also just tabled at the East Bay Art Scene Fest. It has a complicated name. People call it eBabs. <laughs> um, and I had some collage books uh, with like leather on the cover and hand stamped books. Um, but that was kind of the end of my season. I also just performed for a, an anthology, um, a Dada 
anthology from Three Rooms Press um, last weekend, I think. Um, so now I'm hibernating. Right on. Yeah. It seems like a good time to do that. I'm glad yeah. that you came you came out from from the cave from, mm-hmm. the, from the depths of the cave to poke your head out on solstice and yes i'm glad as well. give us give us some poems here at mutinyradio.fm and we're streaming live around the planet from right here in the mission district of mm-hmm. san francisco california and you've been listening to julian mithra on open pages and this is ek keith i'm gonna play another song from our from our friend milo star johnson and then we're gonna we're gonna take this little break a little musical break and then we have a few people for the open mic tonight a little solstice open mic so stay tuned for more poems here's some music
All right, everybody. That was Milo Star Johnson singing Bad Dream Blues. She was our feature doing some amazing poetry in November here on Open Pages. And you can check out more of her stuff at milostarjohnson.com. And we're back for some some delightful open mic time. And I've got James Ellis on the mic, accompanied by Bloodflower on the piano. So take it away, y'all. Was the week before Christmas, and all outside the White House, the people were froth about impeaching the orange-haired Laos. The senators too, Pelosi. I'll show him the door. But Nancy's no angel. She voted for war. And if I may digress, I confess. I wonder what all the kerfuffle is for. Sure, he's a crook, corrupt and bad, and in many ways a criminal and certainly sad, but the orange-haired man is not the worst we've ever had. Two of them ago, remember that? The Bush made two wars. How many men? have died in Afghanistan. Bloody. The oldest war in U.S. history, continuing currently. When I look at presidents, I see consistency. This is government? This is captured democracy. I don't see government all right. I see captured oversight. This is what happens when 300 million say rather innocently, take care of it for me. Okay. The bad news is the good news. It's up to us, you and me. And democracy is made by what we do daily, you and me. Feeling not with the problems of the mind, but the energy of the heart that is true. Once again, me and you make this democracy as we shuffle our feet forward. Okay. Say, so quit this stage and go into the night. I wish you stewardship. Fill your heart, do what's right. I wish love and peace to you all, and to all a good night. Thanks, y'all. That was 
amazing. Hey, hey, can we have, can we all give a hand out there in our studio audience for James and Bloodflower? All right, that was really cool. Hey, Bloodflower, you gonna, you gonna come in and give us, give us a, a poem? That'd be cool. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see you there, my friend. How's it going? Oh, I, uh, happy solstice. Happy solstice to you too. This. What do you, what have you been doing today on this evenly balanced day of the year? Sleeping. Yes. Basically. Yeah. And now you're awake. <laughs> 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 a little That's bit sweet <laughs> thanks um what i learned from you is always read something new that's cool when Thank you. you come to an event is read something new so that's what i'm gonna i'm gonna do um it's a sonnet and it's entitled exit wound When I am lost in a hall of mirrors where none of the reflections are mine, I ask myself, will I ever find an exit? I prayed fervently for death, an off-center stranger, dodged and burned around the edges, yet death passed me over with swift wings. Look out at these dead stars whose light still tickles my vision. A narrative that collapses from within. An alley where no edge exists. Where the contractions begin. Where new life claws its way to the surface of a blinding shadow. The will seems to grow weak. Fades in the sunlight of drought. It seems all is vanity as the flesh falls away to be reborn. Witness this antimatter, these shimmering bent sheets of anti light. I own these eyes, yet they constantly deceive me. The wound from where poetry flows, it seems, is always an exit wound. Thank you. Bloodflower, that's gorgeous. The wound from where poetry flows is always an exit wound. When you sleep a lot, you get a lot of ideas. Yeah, man. Like You know what you, I mean? Like you get you hear like things and you go, now nah, shit, I gotta get up and write it down. Yeah. I'm right? glad you did. So then you get to the point where you don't know whether you're awake or you're asleep and you don't really care. And the promise of the longest night of the year is very comforting. It is, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I want to hear more. I want to hear... You, uh, you got another poem for me? I will read the one I read here last week with um, at uh, Common Thread. Right on. The Fever poem. Cool. Or Sonnet, whatever you want to call it. 
Fever-ish. All right. Sonnet. Uh. Uh, love appears as a wounded fawn, a tormented yearling, wild flowers neglected, powdered with dust, cold, yet the sun is shining, igniting each Judas kiss whose shrapnel x-ray cannot detect. Learn to suffer in silence. In a clearing, the fawn of love, riddled with pain, riddled with arrows nine, pain's eyes seek an escape beneath thick human brows of panic. I am only one of the lowly dogs who guard the realm of the dead, and I wish you well, yet you are still alive and dying, simply a cloud without water, wounded fawn of love in a world without end. Oh yeah, we got some we got some claps out, out in the studio. Too. That'll work. Yeah, that'll work. That's pretty good. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Well, thank have you. A, have thank a lovely you. have a lovely evening. Thank you, Bloodflower. You're welcome. Thank you. All right, y'all. Well, what a quality show we've had tonight. We've had uh, our feature, Julian Mithra, read some pretty amazing work from a kind of botanical, eco-poetical collection that I really enjoyed. And uh, we've been we've been listening to some songs from Milo Star Johnson, and we had James Ellis and Bloodflower for our open mic. So, hey, yeah, everybody, can can we ha- can we clap it up for ourselves for a minute? Yeah, give it, give yourselves a little hand out there. Yeah, give yourselves a little hand, for example. And oh, somebody else has a poem. I I love it when when there's just a little bit more poetry. There's nothing wrong with that. And I see a poet, I see a poet standing up in the audience and maybe, maybe just maybe we'll, we'll get somebody up to a mic or into the studio. So it is solstice, everybody. It's pretty cool. I know there's, there's all kinds of, uh, you know, it's actually really darn quiet in the mission for a Saturday night. This is probably the quietest that Saturday night really gets in San Francisco. Um, and maybe that's cause it's the longest night of the year. Maybe not. Anyway, well, I think I'm going to put on another song because we're hoping for another open mic poet, but I might just put on this song and then come back and, and read a little something to you now. I know if you've been if you've been listening to open pages here at mutinyradio.fm, we're coming on the third Saturdays, and you've probably heard me play a Mia Burn two or five hundred before, um, but they're just such good songs, and I feel like 
the world is a better place with Mia's songs in them. So this is one of my favorite. It's called Leaving on the Night on Leaving on the Next Wind. And it's from an album called As I Am. So everybody please listen to a little music from Mia Byrne. Leave on the next wind Warm current rising Where the Southland begins Leave on the next wind Leave on the next wind Red tail hawk circling when the tree branches thin. Leave on the next wind. Where a soft sun is shining, you'll find me on the drifts. Where stones become tossed into pebbles and turn to sand That arrow is pinned Leave on the next wind
everybody. Thanks for listening to Open Pages here at mutinyradio.fm. This is E.K. Keith, and it is Saturday night in San Francisco. This show happens every third Saturday, so keep listening. We've got another open mic poet, and that's pretty exciting. Um, So everybody who's out there in the studio or who's you know, just listening from somewhere in San Francisco or places far flung, just go ahead and and clap. Clap for Sarah Raven. This is her first time on on the mic here at Mutiny Radio. And uh, anyway, say hi to us, Sarah. Tell us us about your poem and uh, let's hear it. Take it away. This one is called, um, I started to get seasick and with that the fear came. And I figured that this was a good one for the longest night of the year. Second sunset on the water and we kept going. I slept halfway through the night, but I woke up when the captain started driving us through the waves different. I put on my Fowleys, big coat, gloves, headlamp, busted boots with the holes in them. God, I hope we don't ship waves into the cockpit. And I went out on deck. Captain, I'll take this watch from here. I shackled a lifeline to my life jacket. There were no stars, only black fog. The ship corkscrewed through 20-foot waves that I could hardly see except right over my head. Singing to myself to stay awake, I started to get seasick, and with that, the fear came. What am I doing out here? What emergency will I not survive next? What you should know about me is the world is very full of the suburbs, both of place and heart. But I live outside. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You want one more? Thank you, Sarah Raven. I would like one more, please. I think I got one more over here. Can you give me just a second to get it? Yeah. Okay. So, I'm going through here. So I'm I'm getting that you're living you you're living close to nature. Is that really <laughs> that seems really to come right through? Yeah, there we go. Okay, I got one. Okay, this one is called this one was also about boats. It's called Is This a Date? <laughs> I was hoping that there would be a moment where sewage exploded out onto both of us. And as we were both about to start throwing up into the bilge, I would say, is this a date? I texted him. If it would have exploded all over us, we'd have had to strip naked, jump in the bay, then we'd both have been stuck in the boat with no clothes to change into. He texted back. That would have been a date. <laughs> well, what's best is the work that two people do together. And I don't know that I believe in love. My plumbing hoses needed to be changed, and I appreciated his company. But when I started to smell that in his spit as I kissed him, and that's how I knew he was getting hard underneath the tarp of my boat in the rain. That was all right, too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sarah Raven. Thank you. I really enjoyed those pieces. I also really like how... Uh, it kind of resonated with our, our feature, Julian Mithra, their work. 
definitely reaches back and you know there's definitely something about boats that Mm -hmm. it's it's a little bit timeless and always these machines that have been with us Mm -hmm. across Mm -hmm. the ages so yeah thanks for thanks for coming out tonight thanks for having me yeah and Thanks. Thanks to you, Julian Mithra, for coming out here. Can we can we just have some claps and show a little a little love for everybody again? Like, thank you, Julian. Thank you, James and Bloodflower for showing up and sharing some words on this beautiful solstice night. It's our longest night. And uh, well, that's about it. I'm happy that y'all are here. It's the solstice, and I think it might be. I think it might be time for, for us to hear, you know, maybe maybe one more song before we kind of close up a little early and roll off into the longest night. So, I, uh, what am I gonna play here? You know, I'm just gonna probably talk for a second while I make an on-the-fly decision because. Well, that's how I roll. I've got this little stack of CDs here. Oh, I know what I'm going to play. So also, you know, I guess this is a little bit of like, just in case you missed it the first time around, you're going to get a chance to hear it again. So there's really nothing that I love better than punk rock. And I'm very, very fortunate in my life to, you know, I've gotten lucky enough to have a punk rock drummer in my sibling group. And so my youngest brother, he's in this awesome punk band called Something Fierce. And one of the, this is a really old album from Something Fierce. They're out of Houston, Texas. It's an album called There Are No Answers. So, hmm, what am I gonna pick? I just love all these songs so much. But I think, I think just to, to go out, let's see, one, two, three, four. All right. I think I think what we're gonna do is we're gonna play the seventh track on this album. It's called On Your Own. So happy solstice everybody. You're listening to Open Pages at mutinyradio.fm from right here in San Francisco, California's Mission District. So happy solstice. And I'll I'll be here in a month. And it'll be a new year. Bye.
Pegasus. Pegasus. That's what. All right. Pegasus. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Pegasus. I'm your co-host along with Pegasus. My name is uh, Jay Quellen. Forgot for a second. You're here. You've joined us on High Spirits on MutinyRadio.fm. Sup, Jay. What's up, P? Um, it's just us in the studio today, which is actually a change of pace. Not such a bad thing. I think it's, uh, yeah, it's a good opportunity to just riff. And uh, Pegasus and I, we ain't seen each other for a while, uh, a.k.a. a couple days. Um, a.k.a. Uh, yeah, so... Um, we got a lot of catching up to do. Plus, we got this awesome packed show for y'all. And, yeah, we're going to... I have some ideas of uh, some conversational things i'll throw them out there just things that have been going on and wanted to check in on <clears throat> some stuff i was up to uh in the tenderloin today Uh-oh. and some observations there um so yeah that's what's going on groovy Such a long, long just uh in a short time oh. we'll be there I never took you for a Grateful Dead fan. Oh, yeah, Deadhead. Did you go to concerts and nope. wear tie-dye and drop acid? And I have one Grateful Dead t-shirt that I bought on Valencia Street at San Fran Cycle. Get out there, y'all. San Fran Cycle, support it if it's still in business. I don't even know if it's San still in Fran business. San Fran San Fran Cycle in this case. Yes, there's San Fran too, which I think is uh, like a clothing brand or something that also made a beer in conjunction with uh, the brewery uh, Anchor Steam. Yeah, it's like one of those Dolores Park kind of, you know, t-shirt places. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, San, Fran- with us. San Francisco is on Dolores, uh, on Valencia around 20th Street, I think. It's near the Chrome uh, retail store, and they design and produce all their shirts in san francisco and they're all about bicycle themes so the dead shirt that i have that i love to wear is uh has a has a bicycle wheel with its spokes in the in the head the 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 skull in the skull whoa so um they make all kinds of bike related apparel they even have apparel for like babies and two-year-olds and stuff um, I mean, are babies old enough to, you know, properly make that decision? Baby. Or are they being indoctrinated into the life of a deadhead? Aktung, baby. <laughs> Homage to those of you who listen to a certain podcast. Um, Pegasus, wait, what? What? What did you say? What, what? Homage to babies or? I have no idea what okay. you're talking about. All right. <clears throat> so San Francisco psycho, cycle. But, um, yeah, I love the dead, and uh, I think we talked about this. Uh, yeah, we talked about it a couple shows ago that there is a community of sober uh, deadheads that emerged right when the band, you know, was doing their thing, having all these concerts and all the followers and stuff. And they're they're called the Wharf Rats, and they have a sober corner, sober circle at every show. And they have their own meeting in San Francisco, actually. Um, I've so, been. Have you? Oh, yeah. I, I I have actually. Well, I can say that I actually spoke at it once. That was the first time I ever went. Nice. And I and I did go again, and very friendly, and a lot of 
dead tattoos and stuff like that. Um, so interesting. Yeah. If you're. And some of that old time religion. Oh yeah. But this is like, like the dead <laughs> religion. Um, the religion of the dead. Yeah. People are like, uh, I'm a wharf rat, you know, this and that. I, I think it's cool. It's, it's cool. Um, there's also, Oh, that's, that's a topic. Um, or that relates to something that I was talking to my sister about the other day, or she brought it up. She sent me an email. Um, actually, let me sit down. Um, give give us a second, folks. I'm going to put some music on while I get a chair here. Get back to the dead. Friend of the devil. Coming back at you. Here we go. Sitting down. You can control it from there also. Sitting down. Learning the learning the mixer from Pegasus, who is has a very high aptitude for the sound stuff in here. It yeah, it's all stems from Dane Bramage. <laughs> Cool. So, uh, all right. Welcome to High Spirits, 10, 11 p.m. If you're up this late and listening to us, uh, I don't know what you're what you're doing on a Friday night, you know. Well, hopefully you're uh, stone cold sober, had a nice dinner. But maybe you plan to go out dancing, you know, at the Midway or something like that after midnight. I don't know what y'all night owls are up to, but... Speaking of night owls, I did, I was sort of thinking about Pegasus, about uh, sharing today a little bit about um, all the kinds of uh, fun things that I slash you slash we do and that people can get up to um, in the mission, you know, that we're, you know, I'm not, I'm not drinking anymore and I have so much fun. I've my uh my whole uh sort of social life is really the gravity has been the mission district for 15 years basically whether or not i lived in san francisco and still come out every weekend when i lived in other parts of the bay area so i was just thinking about how much fun i've been having at different places venues um spots restaurants and with friends in the mission so i was just sort of thinking about hey well i'm having all this fun not drinking you know it's a place that one can go i mean i spend 98 percent of my non-home non-work time at in the mission um yeah exactly there you go i go to meetings there i meet friends for food and coffee there it's uh, there's a lot of the entertainment i go to i i go to the roxy alamo draft house uh various other cultural institutions and it's all right there um my neighborhood not as much 
attraction there. So I'm I'm here all the time. It's great. It's the um, heart of San Francisco. And <clears throat> sort of, I suppose, a little bit on the edge, maybe a little right off the edge of the mission. Um, speaking of like night owls and getting up to fun stuff, last night I was up late and needed to just sort of felt like I needed to eat something, even though I don't even know if I was really that hungry. That's first world problems. Um, And I was, you know, there's no late night eats in San Francisco. There's nowhere to go. I mean, it's completely unsurprising when a restaurant closes its door at at 9 p.m. Yeah, exactly. You guys know, right? Unless you're in Australia or something. Yeah. Um, Or Mozambique. But... uh, yeah, stuff closes really early. You know, really what I recommend to people would be Beretta um, at, I think, 23rd in Valencia or Nopa, which is open, or Shea Mama. And those places close like uh, maybe 11, midnight, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, depending on the uh, the day, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or which restaurant. But definitely open much later than your typical restaurant and the quality of food there is very high. So it's not like going for some junky pizza or, uh, you know, no offense to taquerias, but I've eaten tons and tons and tons, but, uh, those are always good spots too. Good value. But I did discover this place. I wonder if you know it, Pegasus, it's called it's tops coffee house. It's tops. It's on Market Street. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Have you been there? Oh, many times. Oh, there you go. I mean, it's, it's my great. new jam. I mean, well, I hope it's my new jam. Like with, I suppose, really like my one friend who I would be hanging out with late at night, bullshitting, looking for a donut shop. Like we would, <laughs> we would be going to Bob's or Happy Donuts. Happy Donuts is depressing AF. Bob's <laughs> is great, but it's not really a place to like hang out. Um but this It's Tops place, yeah, I've driven by it for many, many times, and I didn't know what it was. And I went in. It's a beautiful little diner. Um, and, uh, yeah. So yeah. I got I got some of the bat- best pancakes that I've ever had in my life, honestly. I mean. It's a pan- great breakfast place, for sure. All, all night breakfast. Um, Old school. It was. Eggs, o- eggs over yeah. easy, sausage. Okay, there you go, yeah. I had a malted vanilla shake and pancakes. Yeah, that's me, guys. <laughs> um, I do not cook. But uh, it was super tasty. The servicers were great. Nobody was in there. Uh, they were just just uh, flipping tiddlywinks. Um, and they're, they're open till all hours, aren't they? said 3 a.m. last night. But I think on the weekend, weekends, I think they're open super late. And they said they get really busy when the bars close. Yeah. Um, but... You know, really good reviews, and uh, my my gut tells me that the food quality is pretty high for the Greasy Spoon. Um, so I'm definitely going to go back. But uh, it's tops. I was just cruising around. Everything was dead. And I suppose on a Thursday night at 1.30, I mean, even the, yeah, the bars are closing. So there's really nothing to do. Nope, except uh, go out for pancakes. Go out for pancakes on a Friday um, night. Yeah. Um, but uh, back to uh, the dead wharf rats thing, um, that group that we have, uh, we talked about briefly before. Um, 
that is, as I mentioned, the Wharf Rats are the a sober um, community of of deadheads. And uh, my sister sent me a really interesting email about uh, straight edge. Pegasus, do you know about straight edge? Just the term, or is there a group? Yeah, it's, yeah. Well, yeah. Tell me. I mean, so there's a term. What does straight edge invoke for you? What does it mean? To, what do you think it means, or what does it mean to you? Or have you used it, or has anybody ever called you straight edge? Yeah, I've mostly heard it um, from you know people in their teens or twenties who had uh, you know had a bad experience with drugs or alcohol, kind of crashed and you know got in trouble with their family or the police or both and then they i i didn't really i wasn't really aware of you know programs at the time so all i just know is that they kind of like made a vow to themselves to be straight edge to be sober oh yeah yeah and and you know like they would make jokes about you know etching the word straight edge on their their forehead or something to remind themselves oh yeah so you do okay it's like a really hardcore kind of associated with the with the punk scene but I, I hung out with okay you know in the punk scene. that's it you hit the nail on the head that's what uh she sent me information about straight edge um where it came from connection to the punk scene so uh <clears throat> straight edge uh sometimes signified by xxx or x is a subculture originated from hardcore punk oh whose adherents refrain from using alcohol, tobacco, and other recreational drugs in reaction to the excesses of punk culture, subculture, just like the Wharf Rats, I think, in the dead culture. I wonder what other musical communities, like maybe the classical music community has has a subculture of uh, acid trippers, you know, right? Like in response to how sober and stuffy all the classical music listeners are. I could totally be wrong. If you're a classical music listener... And you're wild and you have insights, please call us at 415-550-0511. Set me straight. Uh, you don't have to implicate Pegasus in this judgment. Um, cla- I do think classical music people are so straight edge. I, I think you will discover soon that, that you are completely wrong. So I just the, the final thing is the term itself straight edge. I had no idea. Um, was adopted from the 1981 song Straight Edge by hardcore punk band Minor Threat. Maybe we oh, can yeah. throw it on. Um, and wait, yeah, why? what am I wearing tonight? Oh, yeah. What are you? Minor Threat. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is insane. That's a, Hey, that's a coincigod if I've ever seen one. Oh, no, that's a oh, god no. shot if I've ever oh, seen no, one. Don't what go good there. orderly direction. Um, <laughs> that is unreal. Pegasus is wearing a, a T-shirt with funk, punk bands, including Minor Threat. Minor Threat. I'm blown away. Um, oh, yeah. Could we cue up the, the song um, any, at some point? Like, it doesn't have to be now. But... Well, just be good to have a musical interlude at some point. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we'll play it when we take a break. Uh, at, at your discretion. Sure Minor enough. threat. Um, San Fran Cycle, Grateful Dead, Bicycle Spoke t-shirts, and my co-host Pegasus wearing the Minor Threat shirt as we're discussing the Straight Edge movement. So <laughs> they coined the term Straight Edge. And growing up, yeah, people talked about it in, in grade school, middle school, probably more in middle school and high school, like, oh, you're such a straight edge, or um, really like that, people calling me straight edge, and I was a prep preppy guy, you know? Um, I was straight edge, but I, I, I did listen to 
um, some mainstream punk music. Um, hey, does anybody remember the album Punks and Drublick? I don't even know if punk people consider that a punk punk band. Um, and uh, but uh, yeah, so people called me Straight Edge because I tucked in my sweaters and I got straight A's. But I had no idea, no one ever intimated or or suggested to me, my peers, that Straight Edge came from, uh, was a punk subculture of sobriety. I didn't even know it was associated with sobriety. I thought it was like like get, being a goody two-shoes. Well, I would say that in addition to, you know, being all fuck you to authority and, and society in general, they were probably also fuck you to the sober community of Alcoholics Anonymous. You think so? Yeah, because that that would also be too, you know, goody two shoes and square <laughs> okay. to them. So they had to pick their own name for it. Yeah, and they they ha- it had to be punk. It had to be you know fucked up in some way. Um, you know, like like you had to be completely straight edge, and if you even smoked, you know, took a puff off of a friend's cigarette. Um, you you had broken your your straight edge. Yeah, actually, run. to to that point, there was a counter counter movement that emerged called Bent Edge, oh. and Bent Edge is that person who felt it was okay in the punk scene of straight edge subculture to um, take that drag off the cigarette, take that occasional puff. Also, I just wanted to mention that there was a strong association with. Um, the subculture of straight edge, even with you know participants or adherents to vegetarianism and animal rights and veganism and stuff like that. So that was fascinating to me. You know, I think of punks, I mean, I have some familiarity with the music or I had some friends who were maybe into that scene. Um, I can't really say that I'm too expert at it, but I do somehow associate punks with like skinheads and intolerance and I don't know why that is. Where did that come from? American History X? Is that where I saw that? Yeah, well, fuck you. Yeah. Um, but I love, I mean, there's, uh, yeah, there's been great punk music that I've heard, such as Bad Brains. American History X came for a pretty long time after the punk. Where was the Sex it? Pistols punk? Uh, Sex Pistols. Um, oh, the Ramones. The Ramones. No? Yeah. I mean, technically, yeah, they're... They're kind Jackie's of pop, poppy. Around, Judy's a punk. Da, 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 da. They even say punk. <laughs> They're pretty pop music. Okay, uh, that's compared, what it is. Compared with is, like um, hardcore punk. Is Blink-182 punk? What? <laughs> is, uh, Fuck you, uh, man. Rancid is punk, right? Uh, yeah. Not really. Oh, jeez. Never really checked them man, out. Have I been living a lie? <laughs> a big straight edge lie punk existed from like i don't know the mid 70s until like 1981 or 82 and everything that came after that they're all oh, posers post-punk they're posers they're you know like green day come on that's just a rock band that's posing well that's alternate alternative alternative you wouldn't believe how many people have said oh yeah i'm into punk i listen to green day and, and offspring I'm like, too fuck you i think people would say offspring they're like oh yeah but that reminded me of yeah so so basically the other runts in the litter the other kids i was growing up with like the skaters and stuff who called me well they're not the only ones who called me straight edge but it was it was wrong it was it was hey, not straight edge it was not used correctly because i'm not in the punk scene <laughs> so i was getting called straight edge for no good reason maybe they're just kind of generalizing it yeah. to 
to say that you looked straight. Oh yeah, a LGBTQR code, um, <laughs> as opposed to oh boy, that's a whole thing. I listened to uh, the new Dave Chappelle Netflix special, which I think is like people I think have found it to be very controversial and offensive, uh, and I will say that I really enjoyed it. And there is a whole thing about the LGBTQ community and stuff like that. And I went down the rabbit hole of like, what do all the letters mean? And um, then I discovered that today, the most comprehensive thing that I saw was LGBTQQIAA+. That was the most, that's currently the most comprehensive. Most inclusive. Um, yes. Before, you know, let's say it was just G or something, right? Or Q. And here's what I learned. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, um, queer or questioning, QQ. People have been um, using just the one Q and meaning questioning or meaning queer. This is what I read. And um, anecdotally from other people that I know. So QQ, double Q. Double Q. I is intersex. Mm. And A is asexual. And the other A is something else. But, oh man, in that I'm not including some other things such as pansexual, panromantic, aromantic. There's so much stuff. I saw somebody on um, Hinge the uh, today that came up uh, and... Um, the, the, there was something new and, and very timely, uh, having researched this, uh, the, uh, all this stuff post Dave Chappelle controversial comedy set, um, where he talks about, you know, the LGBT community. He says it's like the alphabet people or something like that. Anyways, I wanted to get more educated on, um, what they all mean and how people like self-identify and stuff like that. Oh, that's cool. That's a, that's a, that's, I think that's a smart thing to do. I mean, there, there. It's hard to be right about it all the time, but it's good to be just you know be open and uh, have an open heart, because um, you know a lot of people from communities of uh, you know from the queer communities, communities of color, they they're, they don't feel welcome. They don't feel like the the world is necessarily open to them and. I think it's good to throw a little love their way and, you know. Oh, yeah. The other, uh, one of the A's that's thrown in in the comprehensive one is ally. Oh, Asexual ally. ally. Mm. I, I was surprised. So that was oh, thrown that in the sense. mix. And the plus is like for everything that hasn't come out yet or hasn't been covered. Um, and uh, I will say, so on the heels of that, Dave Chappelle followed by going down the rabbit hole and learning about what the quote, you know, the community or the movement, you know, on the web is uh how how it they're representing themselves um maybe officially or branding or whatever and then on the hinge profile this person had a comment about a romantic pansexual so this person was um you know said that they're looking for looking for love a pansexual a friendship and an a romantic I don't know man I was no confused. attachments I was confused they won't they want sex with everybody with no attachments I don't know good for them no 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 they were ace okay 
asexual panromantic. I don't know. Anyways, so sue me, folks. Um, so yeah, so yeah, lots of different things. And then on the on that topic, you know, connecting it to sobriety, um, there is uh, there are uh, meetings, all kinds of meetings out there: men's meetings, women's meetings, um, young people's meetings. And we meant the aforementioned uh, deadhead meetings, the wharf rats. And uh, there's uh, all kinds of meetings. Um, and also there are gay meetings. And there's places where um, people who are, you know, identify as gay or perhaps, you know, other members of the LGBTQ community have safe spaces and, and interest affinity groups around meetings and i've gotten to attend um when i when i was exploring the san francisco scene um meeting scene i uh i definitely put a lot of i i, I went to um um one of the fellowships in the castro and and uh tried out all these different kinds of meetings including uh gay meetings and it was cool yeah it's not not in my repertoire these days but did you feel welcomed? Yeah. Yeah. Over, I mean, my, the short answer is yes. I think that, um, and you know, I guess, I mean, I suppose, I mean, I identify, yeah, I identify pretty straight edge, <laughs> but, um, but yeah. Um, that doesn't mean what you think it means. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're just mixing malapropisms, just mixing stuff up, anachronisms, malapropisms, but, uh, I did overall, yeah, I felt it was welcoming. I thought there was a lot of cool insights. I mean, dude, we're all we're all human beings and but uh of course there's unique stuff in uh different lifestyles and experiences and romance and all that kind of stuff. And I there were definitely things where I didn't feel as uh didn't feel that some things were as relatable, but a lot but mo I think mostly it was the kind of topics and things that came up were very familiar and relatable and it's all part of our broader community so it's you know it's it's just another meeting but it's really cool that there are all these interest groups in fact um yeah well um yeah so yeah it's uh there's there's meetings for everybody um in this town I including uh well aa is known for being very uh you know very much about uh having a higher power and there are meetings for people who don't have higher powers yeah. and that's a good thing yeah there's meetings in spanish there's oh, meetings yeah. in uh there's a i think there's a croatian meeting um or yeah uh anyways there there are meetings in a variety of different languages there's um meetings for people of color there's meetings for um, right for gay folks for lesbians for people who want to meditate for people who are buddhist um there's refuge recovery there's life oh, ring, yeah, smart which is recovery yeah smart life. recovery life ring which is i guess sort of a cognitive behavioral therapy that comes with a workbook and stuff and it's all there's a lot to choose from here and that's really kind of remarkable i yeah. guess it's what you'd expect in 2019 oh, yeah that there's uh, just a lot to choose. You know, there's a, a it's a big smorgasbord. You don't have to go with the one size fits all AA um, 
you know, prescription of, you know, go to traditional meetings and, uh, you know, and stick with that program. You can choose what works for best for you. And, and you don't have to worry about whether other people will judge you for it because you'll be doing your own thing. Um, thanks for sharing about all those. Yeah. There's a lot of, I mean, um, yeah, all the different ways I was, I just, subjected one of my friends uh to well my roommate um who's a good friend um to just I just was we well we were in a discussion maybe I wasn't torturing him but he he was a willing participant in and like hours long discussion about recovery and the program and my experience and other people's experiences and just all kinds of stuff and I mean he's a normie and uh we've talked about normal people are not addicts and alcoholics <laughs> but uh and have like a healthy relationship or just a low-key relationship with that stuff but um so it was uh really in-depth and actually um super cool some some cool things ca came up um my mom says do not repeat one thing too many times just make sure and remember am i repeating myself <laughs> that's um she's listening i think between the two of us we've <laughs> gone back and forth oh. over some of the same territory a few times. oh yeah. that's what she's saying normies and grateful dead oh my god she's such a she's an avid listener and she's checking me right now on one of these days we're going to work up an agenda before we sit down in front yeah. of the microphones yeah we will um and but just wanted to yeah this is like a stream of consciousness today but um yeah, today talked about, we got into talking about, you know, does it work for everyone? How does it work? What else is out there? <clears throat> so, <clears throat> yeah, I think uh, my, I was talking about uh, rehab became <laughs> a big point, a focal point of the conversation. And I was sharing with him about all this stuff I've learned anecdotally about rehab and um, I don't have any experience with it, but inevitably in the rooms and, and in this journey, in this wonderful journey of sobriety and recovery, um, you, you people have had experiences in uh, rehab facilities, whether they are community-based or private organizations, you know, nonprofit, for-profit, whatever. And um, I definitely have a I have a mixed feelings about the industry and um, all the offerings out there. And I was expressing that and he was like, hey, you know what? A lot of what you're saying and talking about was co is covered in a in one of the John Oliver late night. Uh, John Oliver, uh, you know, he has some show on HBO. Oh, he's right? that guy with the uh, the fake British accent yeah. who claims to be from Great Britain. Yeah, I guess so. And was on an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, um, actually. Oh, is uh, that show still produced? I, I don't know. I think they did a season nine or eight. I don't know if it's gonna. they're going to come out with another season. But um, So John Oliver did a really great... I hope you guys, if anybody's listening out there, <laughs> I hope uh, you guys will go look up on YouTube. Just look up the keywords, John Oliver Rehab. And, you know, he he pulls all these um, stories from, say, Vice or 
uh, Frontline and all these interviews that other people have done. And he, you know, he's really, it was a critique. I mean, it's an understatement to say that he was providing a very strong rebuke and critique of what is an unregulated industry. So some of the fun facts he threw out was that there were 14,500 rehab centers across the United States. So, and that it's grown very rapidly over the last 10, 15 years. Um, And that the industry is a $35 billion industry in the country. Dude, we're totally missing out on this with what we know. Yeah. And um, (laughs) unfortunately, there are these traditions in, in the program that prohibit prohibit us presumably from making a profit off of um oh pegasus just passed me my Lacroix. and by the way thank you pegasus for getting me tots and ketchup <laughs> from our favorite spot and they're ex- especially crunchy even though they're at room temperature now yeah. they're even crunchier than than when they're hot out of the fryer well that's because we dipped them in shellac before oh, we brought them excellent over. Yeah. lacquer lacquer um oh on that note i got my first mani pedi in my life uh, in in uh, in the neighborhood, oh, last week when I was off for Labor Day weekend, uh, I just mentioned that because I think they put a clear coat or shellac or something on people's nails, and I was like, they asked me sort of with some trepidation, and I was like, uh, no, I don't think so. I'm gonna just go with uh, no, no uh, uh, veneer or uh, shiny whatever. So what you're telling us, you went all the way to the brink and then you said no? Went to the brink. Jeez. Um, so $35 billion industry and unregulated. And they really focused on all the unscru- unscrupulous operators out there. Um, citing, they they invo- um, showed us, you just got to go and watch it, but uh, advertising, yeah. Yeah, we could play it, but it's a 20-minute segment. Maybe if we run out of things to do, we could play towards the end. Yeah. Yeah, just the audio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, For sure. If we decide to end early, we can just play that as our outro. (laughs) Um, But uh, I have a tater in my hand right now, and I really just don't want to stop talking and just eat it. I'm salivating. But um, I'll just just say that uh, the the rehab thing – it, it confirmed a lot of stuff that I had learned or gleaned anecdotally from compatriots and through um, work I've done. I think, you know, there's this whole thing called H&I, Hospitals and Institutions, and it's where you bring meetings into not rehabs per se. I don't really know. Maybe they do. But, but to, no, actually, it's like to uh, Veteran VA run meetings, uh, state prisons, federal prisons, recovery homes that are related to um, maybe some government related uh, diversion program or something like that. So mm-hmm. anyways, um, uh, what he cited like all these interviews with all these people who came across as major douchebags that own these rehabs like in Malibu and L.A. and 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 that charge seventy thousand dollars one place. Uh, apparently charges $70,000 per month. Yikes. Yeah, and offers like, you know, he was he was poking fun at things like equine therapy, hi, I don't know, hydrotherapy, um, y- you know, yoga, all this kind of stuff. I mean, you know, all this stuff, I'm sure he was saying so many things can be therapeutic, but are they coming from an evidence-based, you know, approach 
Um, and, you know, that's a whole, perhaps a whole other topic because, you know. Are you saying you would turn down a, a hands-on prayer healing? Prayer healing? Would you? Uh, do they do that? I, I would assume it's out there having grown up uh, in a community that offered that sort of mm. thing. I'm, I'm, I would not be surprised to find wow. that there's a rehab yeah, center sure, that, right. that's faith-based. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Then Let me Google that for you. They actually didn't talk about the, uh, the faith-based side, but, but basically they really, they really focused on these douchebags running these $70,000 rehabs. That's and like two and a half grand a day. And I mean, that's, that's more expensive than my habit was. Jeez. <laughs> Dude, I mean, that's... Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Um, and, you know, they're talking about no standards, uh, no clinicians involved, um, no regulation. Also that, you know, what are the motives? You know, there's a profit motive um, and that, you know, maybe even there's there may be insidiousness in some rehabs to want people to relapse and come back and spend another... Thirty, forty thousand dollars on rehab, and it got me thinking about in this conversation with my roommate, what a desperate position that we're in, you know. And this ad comes on for a rehab, and it says, "Why haven't you called us? Here's our toll-free number. You need to come here. We'll we'll help you solve your um, alcohol and addiction problems." And um, I mean, I was thinking, wow, what a desperate situation. If I was sitting there and I was just just down and out, you know, I don't know, suicidal or crying or whatever, just hopeless. And I saw that and I called them and like, I really don't know what I'm getting myself into. Um, and then as a, as an exercise, I was just thinking about, um, how much money am I spending in the program? <laughs> you know, right. Well, so not, not a lot of money compared to $70,000 for 30 days. <laughs> and what I, what I came up with, okay. I, I, I will or won't go into the details, but okay. I'm just, I'm just saying somebody who came in and st- has, has stayed or has, is, you know, sober for 30 years by my estimate has spent a maximum of $7,500 uh, through, through, uh, you know, a seventh tradition of, I'm, here's what I was assuming. $1 a meeting, five meetings a week, 50 weeks a year for 30 years, plus a $10 big book. The big book costs ten dollars. Okay, but now I want to I want to have some caveats. I'm not saying that we're in an evidence based you know program, and I have researched PubMed periodically to try to understand. Um, I don't really concern myself too much with it, but I am interested in in learning about you know um, you know doctors refer people to AA, judges in courtrooms refer people to AA, rehabs refer people to AA, the Salvation Army refers people to AA, you know, and it's sort of like you know what is what else is out there and it's like um I know I'm all over the place but it was just very exciting. Therapy is super important. You know, it, oh sorry, it was important for me. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Um cognitive behavioral therapy, anger management, um mindfulness meditation, vipassana specifically, um, AA, um, all of this was like a full court press. I wasn't just doing one thing and man, that shit saved my ass, you know? And yeah. 
yeah, and therapy was a big, big part of it. And I guess I would just through this whole conversation with my roommate and watching the John Oliver thing and thinking about the controversies that I feel in my heart about the rehab industry. Um, and, uh, and, you know, again, Hey, if any, if anyone has experience with that and is listening to us or has any comments, you know, call us at 415-550-0511 and tell us about your rehab experiences. Maybe we should have somebody on, um, that has rehab experience. I figure I've spent about three grand over the past six years. Um, I, I tend to put a little, what, oh, like six. you're three, generous. Like three or four bucks uh, per meeting. Um, so I, I Googled uh, re- faith-based rehab, mm. and first the ads come up. And um, I won't call out the names of the centers, but I'll, uh, I'll read some hey, of them. Hey, why their, not? Free Speech Radio. No, it's your, your choice. No, I don't want to yeah. be connected, you know, oh, or have them calling my God. us. Or it's not Thank like you. A, an endorsement or anything. You're so right, Pegasus. Yeah, so uh, get this. On the, the very first ad, it says, same-day admission is possible. Drug and alcohol rehab center in somewhere in California. Our location and exclusiveness is hard to beat. Maximum of six clients per residence. What does that mean exactly? Six six clients in a hacienda? Like, do you get your own separate? Oh, private rooms, cell and laptop friendly, licensed and accredited, whatever that means. Luxurious private rooms. How licensed nice. and accredited? I wonder what that is. Insurance verification form to fill oh, out. Mm-hmm. That's uh, what John Oliver was talking about, too, is that he said that I look forward to digging in, into all of this, but I'm taking him at his word, folks, right now. And he said that under the Bush administration, that there was a lot of, I don't know if pressure is the right word, but policies instituted to get insurance companies to cover uh, rehab-related expenses. And um, and then that was extended under Obama as well. This is what John Oliver said. So then he got into the whole thing about milking insurance or bilking insurance. And also he got into this whole thing about how much pee testing urine cups, urine analysis makes for for rehabs. Um, there's this whole market with the testing companies and they're oh, making yeah. a ton of money. And, you know, anyways, uh, it's yeah. absurd. It's uh a, like just to get p testing done here in san francisco it it can you know you can spend a hundred dollars wow I, I think there's like bulk plans but what's the the for me the greatest cliche that comes to mind when i think about rehab is is a, t- a television cliche a trope of you know the the wealthy uh yeah. you know kid from a family who's got his cell phone and he's ordering up coke and weed you know, while while he's, you know, getting somebody else to pee in the cup for him. and you Yeah, know, some Laguna Beach, something. Totally. It's like a, you know, it's just sort of like a vacation, a freewheeling vacation for the wealthy. I, I do agree that that's like. a stereotype and a, and a prominent media representation. Yeah. I mean, I, I imagine that there's people who go to a rehab and they get a lot from it. Like, Oh, yeah. I don't want to completely trash it. And I would love for somebody to call in and share about their positive or negative experiences we do meet a lot of people in meetings in the bay area who come from rehab centers Mm -hmm. and there are a lot of um i think state funded rehab centers and you know like uh, insurance funded and so these are for people who couldn't afford 